All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about Germany and the farmers' strike. Uh, we've, we could talk about Olaf Scholz's his, his dismal approval ratings. They seem to get lower with each passing week. And uh, now he's got this farmer strike, while at the same time, he is calling on Germany to spend more money on Ukraine. So go, go figure. And, uh, and then we have trouble in, in France as well. Uh, the prime minister has, has resigned and there's going to be a reshuffle in, uh, in the Macron uh, cabinet. So uh, the, the situation in Europe is not going well at all. Uh, where where should we begin, uh, Germany or France? Well, let's start with France, because the most interesting thing is that we now have statements from the French finance minister saying that the situation is becoming increasingly bleak and that France might have to look forward to a period of austerity. Um, so uh, this decision to basically sack the prime minister, because, of course, she resigned, but it was quite clear that Macron wanted her out, that... Macron has lost confidence in her, um, is a sign that, again, things economically are not going well in France. And that Macron's own position is becoming more brittle. And what he's now trying to do um, is he's trying to find some means to strengthen his government because he senses that the whole thing is now slipping slowly. Power is slipping away from him. He's increasingly finding he's finding it increasingly difficult to govern France. One senses that his popularity there is falling and the economic situation, as I said, is bad. But you talked about Scholz, more money for Ukraine. Macron is going to supply Ukraine with 85 more scalp missiles, the French equivalent of the storm shadow. So you can see that. Even as in France, Macron understands that things are not going well, he won't take any step to try, he won't take any overt step, any public step to break with the European consensus, the EU consensus. And instead, he's going to press on and continue the policy. He's just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as the ship crashes into the iceberg, because that's exactly what this new government reshuffle is all about. Which is no different than the rumors from Bild about uh, swapping out Schultz for the defense minister Pistorius. Exactly. It was exactly it's much the same thing that we're it seeing. Is, it is exactly the same. And you can understand why they're talking about this, because as you absolutely rightly say, Schultz's popularity is crashing. I mean, it's falling all the time. He's, there's a massive loss of support. We have the farmers now protesting in Berlin. There's farmers' protests spreading to the Netherlands. Bear in mind the farmers in Poland have been protesting for a very long time now. But all of this is now starting to come together. There's reports of shortages starting to emerge in German supermarkets. There's a budgetary crisis in uh, um, Germany as well. But what you do, you swap Schultz for somebody who's even more hardline and is even more determined to stick with the EU consensus on Ukraine. What they're basically trying to do is they're trying to keep the 
Ukraine project afloat, and they are um, you know, they're jettisoning ballast. Schultz, the French Prime Minister, people like that, just to keep the thing floating, uh, and and that's the entirety of European policy at this particular time. You know, the dumping of the French government, the potential, in fact, likely dumping of Olaf Scholz, is that it is jettisoning ballast. It is nothing more. There is no real change of direction. Charles Michel is also going, notice, but he's going to cling on for a few more months. You can't allow Orban to take over leadership of the European Council, not for the next couple of months. So Charles Michel can see that this isn't working, so he's going to run simultaneously for the European Parliament whilst remaining president of the European Council. Clear conflict of interest there, by the way. Clear uh, uh, division of responsibilities. How can he do two things like that at one and the same time? But that's what he intends to do. But he's not going to resign now. He's going to cling on, keep Orban uh, out. And then, of course, he's gone and he's safe in the European Parliament. He's elected there. And when things really begin to turn ugly, well, he's no longer going to be there at the presidency of the European Council to be politically targeted as he might otherwise have been. But it's all political games, none of this addressing the underlying problems. And you see this now all across Europe, um, a determination to keep this project, Project Ukraine, going despite growing economic problems, growing political unrest across Europe, bringing in even more hardline figures to replace the um, less successful previous hardline figures, Boris Pistorius, quite plausibly the French foreign minister, the man who said that you know France's objective when they supported the sanctions, this is what he said back in March, is to uh, smash the entire Russian economy. I mean, he's a very hardline figure, but it's likely that he will be brought in. It's quite plausible that he might be the next prime minister of France. So you bring hardliners in, you dump the others, but you keep Project Ukraine alive. Yeah. It, it, in the case of Germany, it's really interesting that, that Ole Schultz he must realize that he's on the way out. He sees that, that there's this huge farmer's protest. He sees that his country's a complete mess. It's, it's being deindustrialized. It is deindustrialized. Businesses are closing down. Uh, but he has no problem. While all of this is going on, he has no problem uh, urging Germans and the entirety of of the EU to to pour more money into Project Ukraine. It really tells you a lot about the the interchangeability of these EU leaders and how you can swap one guy out for another guy and the person that has just been uh, replaced almost seems to have an understanding, uh, perhaps an agreement (laughs) of sorts that uh, if, if, you know, he just lays low for a couple of months, They'll, they'll find another position to, to place this person at. That was formerly the, the Chancellor of Germany. Sit tight. Don't worry. We'll take care of you. But just no matter what, 
stay on uh, on track with Project Ukraine. That's exactly correct. I mean, no. it, it's you, the, you, you would think just to, I mean, you would think if, if this person was any normal person would, would not be sitting there saying give money to Ukraine while there's a farmer's protest going on in his own country. It no, of course it doesn't not. It doesn't add it, up. It doesn't compute. But I'm going to make a guess. I think that Olaf Scholz is clever enough to understand perfectly well that his position politically is becoming untenable. And what he's probably doing at the moment is he's negotiating the terms of his exit. <laughs> so that's what he's probably actually doing at the moment in Germany now. And in order to negotiate good terms for his exit, he needs to reassure the people that he is negotiating with, that he remains completely loyal to them over Project Ukraine. So that's why he's coming out and making these statements at the moment. So that when he goes, you know, he's not going to be subjected to too many investigations about the wire card scandal and other problems in Hamburg. And there's a nice job for him. Maybe, maybe when Charles Michel goes, who knows, maybe president of the European Council. There's a nice uh, vacancy opening up there. Maybe that is why Charles Michel is going. Just saying. Actually, I don't think so. I think the yeah. French would not want the German at the presidency of the no, European no, yeah. Council at this time. But, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, you know, you can see all the various. They'll find somewhere. But for they'll him. find somewhere for him. Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll find somewhere for him. Um, real quick. Um, how are things in, in Germany to wrap up the video? The German bad. economy. This is bad. I mean, we have more. Ev- the, the economy continues to contract. Processes of deindustrialization are intensifying, um, and um, <coughs> there is continues to be a budgetary crisis. More talk talks now about tax increases, which <laughs> this is not what Germany needs at this particular time, and uh, even starting to have some complaints from people like Christian Lindner, who is the finance minister that half of EU money that goes to Ukraine comes from Germany. Therefore, we, we know we're not going to scale back on money for Ukraine, but you know, other European countries must start to contribute even more to this project because, you know, if Germany's doing all this heavy lifting, then the others should start doing it also. So it's a, it's a bad situation in Germany. It's a bad situation in France. You'd struggle to find anywhere in Europe where things are really getting better. I mean, pretends that, you know, things are getting better in Italy and Greece. Nobody, I think, who lives in these countries really thinks that. Um, But, you know, you can pretend that. But, you know, that's, that's the fiction. In Northern Europe, it is impossible any longer. In Germany, in the Netherlands, in France, it's impossible to go on pretending this. So the situation deteriorates. Europe is trapped in a stagnation crisis. It turns out that the gas from Russia didn't just provide Germany with stable and low prices for gas. They also were, was essential for sustaining Germany's chemical industry, which is by far the biggest in Europe and one of the biggest in the world. And that whole chemical industry is gradually starting 
to implode on itself because it doesn't have the cheap gas from Russia that it depended upon. You know, the smart leaders in the in the EU are going to be the ones that get out now, find another job, find another position. The lucky, the lucky and the smart ones are going to be the ones that uh, that are removed now before the collapse. Absolutely. You don't want to be sitting in that seat no. when everything goes bust. No, absolutely not. But, you know, full steam ahead. You mustn't look back. You know, Ukraine remains this. It's all about values, of course. <laughs> we must continue to support Ukraine. Uh, um, um, we can't pull back now. Um, we've got to keep uh, this Operation Ukraine going. And, um, you know, anybody who dares to speak out of turn on this, you know, Viktor Orban, uh, Robert Fizzo, people of that kind, you freeze them out of decision making to the extent that you can. And you see how Charles Michel is doing precisely that. He's going to simultaneously run for the European Parliament and remain president of the European Council, simply to stop Orban from taking charge. Oh, boy. (laughs) They bet everything on, uh, on Project Ukraine. They bet bet it all on Project Ukraine. Yeah. And without the U.S., the EU can't do anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I I, I will qualify that with one thing. You're absolutely right. Project Ukraine has been an absolute appalling disaster. But, you know, with the EU, as it is set up now, if it had not been Project Ukraine, it would have been something else. I mean, the whole way in which the EU is structured now, makes it absolutely all but certain that they would do something unsustainable and ridiculous and completely counterproductive to themselves. It just happens that Ukraine came along and was the one. And, you know, they listened to what Biden and Newland and all of those people were saying. But at some point in one year's time, two years time, five years time, they would have done something else every bit as ridiculous and ill-conceived and stupid, and they would have persisted in it in exactly the same way. Yeah. All right, we will leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran shop, 15% off all t shirts. Take care.